This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast, episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter, and soap. Okay? 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. And also, after you order, get back to me. Let me know how you liked it. Let me know what candle is popping for you. Just tell me about the body butter. I want to hear y'all's experience with the body butter because it's kind of changed my life. It's taken maybe a year or two off my face. Not to say that I was hurting like that, but hey, it got your boy shining out here. You know what I'm saying? So let me know what y'all think. Get back to me. Promo code socks. Show your support for the podcast and for a young black entrepreneur. All right. Grace and peace. We had belief, right? Like you don't have to have exceptional talent if you have exceptional belief. And all year, Mackenzie Porter, who's doing an HBCU tour this week, isn't here, but she tried to tell everybody in the paper that we were gonna win this. I didn't believe her. I even told her to, to calm the rhetoric down. You know what I'm saying? You're putting too much pressure, but she saw something I didn't. She, she was Nostradamus in the moment. And, uh, for some reason, on Championship Saturday, it was the most peaceful day of my life. I have never been more peaceful about something than I was the day I got married. Like, that was the most peaceful day of my life. The second most peaceful day was the state championship game, and that's real talk. And I knew we were going to win. They knew more than I knew that we were going to win. And during the game, I knew we had the game. I just didn't know at what point we had the game. And... Uh, and so I'm so proud of these girls because 38 years, the PIL has been overdue to see elite girl basketball played at a high level in the city. And so I am so freaking proud of these girls. Let's just give it up one last time. What up, everybody? want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel, and the voice that you just heard there in the intro was that of Eric Knox. Eric is the coach of the Benson Girls basketball team that just won state, the state champions in the state of Oregon 2019. So um, we talked to him and my guy, Tyler Monk. The title of this show is called Play to Win. This was our first live show, live broadcast out of the Multnomah County Central Library, downtown Portland, Oregon. So it was the first of its kind of first live podcast ever broadcasted, the first of many, you know, live shows that Socks and Sandals will be doing in partnership with Multnomah County with the library. And um, but yeah, but so the so the show, what you're going to hear is, you know, we're, we're talking to Eric Knox and Tyler Monk play to win basically we were taking that championship mentality that 
you know, a lot of our, a lot of black students and other students of color, you know, we're very versed, well-versed when it comes to sports, um, very knowledgeable. And, you know, especially if you're in that world and you're playing sports, I mean, you're getting high level teaching, high level motivation and education when it comes to that game. So what we're trying to do in this conversation is not only just focus on the sport, but then shift that attention to the classroom, shift that attention to life skills and just not just having that excellence on the court or on the field, but having that excellence in life and pursuing things after high school. And so um, this this conversation, very rich conversation between Coach Knox and Tyler Monk. He And Tyler Monk, just, if you all do not know, he is the creator. He is the man behind the underdog mentality where he teaches you know leadership and mindset training. So without further ado, let's get into this show live. Or well, it was live uh, out of the Central Library, downtown Portland, Oregon. All right. Let me know what you all think. If you have any questions, hit me up. The Twitter handle is at SXSNDLS, or you can just search Socks and Sandals Podcast. On Instagram, search Socks and Sandals Podcast. My personal Instagram is my government, Emmanuel, and then since 85. So Emmanuel, S-I-N-C-E, 85. All right. Without further ado, let's get it. But now she wants some time away from me I want to live my dream What up y'all want to welcome you back to the Socks and Sandals podcast Where society, culture, history, and religion collide And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews It's your guy Emmanuel I'm back, I'm not in the kitchen I am in the central library here in Portland, Oregon Shout out to the plug, my guy Perry Gardner, man can we can we just give him a hand real quick, real man. quick, real quick? My boy P, my guy P G, man, putting this thing together. And you said this is the first time we've ever had a live podcast in the Central Library. That's big. That's major, man. So shout out to you for making this happen. Um, and really quickly, I just want to let y'all know who I'm sitting with, man. I got some royalty to my right. Um, two brothers that are just I'm um, doing amazing things in the community. Uh, first things first to my far right, I got my guy Tyler Monk. This man is a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, an expert in leadership development, uh, director of the Ready to Rise program of Clark County under the Portland Leadership Foundation, inspirational speaker, and creator of the underdog mentality, Mr. Tyler Monk. Say what's up to the people, bro. What up, what up, y'all, man? Excited to be here, man. It's, it's an honor, bro. I appreciate it, fam. No doubt, man. No doubt. Thank you for coming out. Yes, sir. And to my immediate right, Hold on, let me, let me get my breath to do this intro. <laughs> Woo! <clears throat> Keep it simple and sweet. This man, it ain't simple, man. There's nothing simple about this brother right here, man. I got, this man is, a, once again, a husband, a father, a social justice advocate, head coach of the 2019 Oregon State, Oregon State champion girls basketball team at Benson High School. Me and Tyler's alma mater. Let's go. Give it up for that. He is the word. Word. Techman is in. Nah. Who? You? Yes. No. Say it ain't so. Come on, man. Left this community. Oh. Left this community. Left this community, man. Getting busted. Desegregating. Oh man, that's funny. Where you from? You from Detroit? I see. I see. I was in Detroit a couple years ago. Beautiful city. Where I need to go. Love Detroit. Uh, about Lincoln though. Nah, Lincoln. Nah, nah, no love, man. (laughs) He gonna kick us out. Yo, get us out of the library. Uh, 
he is the founder and executive director of Holla Mentors, entrepreneur, pastor, writer, reader, and smack talker that lives in the moment, brother Eric Knox. Say what's up to the people, brother. What's up, what's up, what's up? What's everybody doing? Man. Excited to be here. No doubt, man. Yes. So I'm, I'm really excited to have y'all here, man. And uh, this is called, this episode here, this series is called Play to Win. So basically, you know, we're, we're talking about what it takes to effectively encourage and constructively help kids of color pursue higher education. Now, um, Brother Eric, you are, you know, a coach, once again, of the state champion Vincent Women's High School team, man. Mm -hmm. that's, that's awesome. So um, I'm glad I'm able to sit with you and ask you these questions because you have the experience, like you've done it. Yeah. And this show is all about, it's all about um, unapologetic expression, being extremely honest, but also like when we're learning, I want to have people that have the experience, you know, subject matter experts. So um, when, it, when it comes to what it took to lead these girls to the championship, a lot of people would say if Eric Knox wasn't there, these girls would not have won the championship. Mm. So, it's, so it, it could be said that like they, they've had the ability, but somebody had to bring it out of them. So outside of the physical, I want you to talk about the mental preparation, everything that you had to pour into them psychologically to get them to that point. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when it comes to especially black girls, uh, I feel like as a, a black man, I feel like a unicorn in this space because mm. I, I didn't call it, it called me. I mean, right. when I first got in this, uh, I just moved back to, to Portland six years ago, mm -hmm. and Curtis Wilson, the principal, had just got the job there, and they wanted an upgrade in the sports programs as a whole. Vincent mm -hmm. Sports ain't what it was back when y'all was there mm -hmm. in 2003. No, it's it's falling on hard times. Yeah. Yeah. So Curtis Wilson uh, called me and said, man, I want to interview you for our uh, basketball position, mm -hmm. varsity basketball position. So in my mind, I was thinking it was the boys, I was excited. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, I just moved back. I'm thinking this is old Benson, yeah. ton of athletes. I get there and he said, look, I intentionally did not tell you the gender mm. because I knew you wouldn't show up. Wow. But mm. what I want to do is propose you coach our girls varsity basketball team for That's one nice. year. Mm. For just and one year? Yeah, just to He help was them. just trying to, he knew what he was doing. Oh, okay. He this, was like, yeah. low, low commitment, and then once you, <laughs> right. once you enjoy yourself, oh, I'm right. going to be here forever. You right, know? <laughs> and that's where six years later, sure. here I am. There it is, yeah. And so I jumped in, and, you know, I just didn't know any better. Yeah. Uh, and I was, you know, I'm not anti-women. I just never coached women. My whole work has always been black boys. Right. And I realized just working in the space with black females, especially in Portland, uh, you know, just, let's just get right to it, For girls sure. basketball don't move the needle. No. Mm -hmm. And so when I jumped into this space, mm. about two months into it, I was kind of putting a team together. I got a middle school program off the ground just because I needed a feeder system. Yeah. And uh, I sat down with a bunch of about 12 girls and we were at a, at a subway. And uh, you know, when you're playing in tournaments in the weekend, you, you have two games. And so those two games, you can have one game at 10 and the next game at two. Mm. So you got a lot of time in between. And so I would take these kids out, to, these girls out to eat. And after about a couple of months, we were sitting down at the subway and I asked them, I said, uh, I ain't never seen any of y'all dads around. Where's your pops? And uh, they started just one by one, I don't know. My dad's incarcerated, I ain't met him. I don't, like there was just one story after another. And I felt like 
I felt like the Lord in that moment said, this is exactly why you need to be here. Mm -hmm. Black man, married, loves his wife, father, and you need to show them what a strong black male presence looks like. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, that was the first piece. Yeah. The other piece is, is that we know in PPS, there's a low bar expectation for black girls, for black kids, period. period yeah. And uh, if you're gonna get kids to the next level, rigor has to be essential to their own growth, right? Mm -hmm. They gotta do what they don't want to get what they do want. Mm -hmm. And so what I started doing is, is that I said, you know what, we're not gonna be sort of the after school basketball practicing type of team. Mm -hmm. I wanna know who, who wants to really grind and be a part of this. And so I said, this program is ex this program is not exclusive to black and brown kids, but we are unapologetically black and brown first and foremost. First and, foremost. and I always say, this is about black and brown girls, yeah. um, but it's not for every black and brown girl. Yeah. And they didn't understand that until I started making our trainings at 4.15 in the morning mm. before school mm. to weed out the kids that didn't really Belong. It's not for every black and brown girl, and it's not for me either. Because I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been there. This brother would not have been there right. at four fifteen. Yeah. I would have been sleeping right. peacefully. That's not even early. That's late. <laughs> <laughs> and we created, you know what? We created our our pickup routes and started picking kids up. Yeah. And and you know we. There's some stairs actually right over here by PSU. Oh, I'd take him down there. The we oh, would hit those. Man. We would, you know, and I mean, we go to Whitaker and do yeah. tons of bear crawls and run on the track. Jeez. And then we'd get into the gym and put up 1,500 shots. And I was on a mission. Woo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and then we'd spend, you know, study hall afterwards. So the yeah. kids was wiped out. By the time they got home, some, a lot of these mamas loved me because when the kids got home, <laughs> They was ready to hit it, yeah. and we had to get right back up right. at 4.15 in the right. morning. And I just wanted to shape the mentality, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To do some things that they're not used to doing, shock their body, and put a, a level of structure in them that they didn't have if we are going to play at an elite level. So, so those are some of the pieces we did. Before we go any further yeah. from what you did for the girls, yeah. and I didn't do the best job of doing the, the yeah. intro as far as, like, your background. Because, right. like, when you say that, it makes people think, who is this dude that is willingly getting up mm. at four o'clock in the morning? So you're, tell us about your background, about you know basketball, high school, college, um, pro. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Inglewood. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I oh. grew up. I grew up. I grew up in Inglewood. <laughs> Perry over here. Bad Perry's upset. Yeah. Bro. Perry so you had to bring it in. It yeah, would, that's it some people hate on LA, but people be hate. Why, why they be hating on LA, man? I don't know. Maybe because we got 16 championships. You know, and yeah, it it's the city of champions. He from there. He can say that. Yeah. He can actually he say that. Who. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, I grew up. You know, I grew up um, in South Central, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I was a mess up, man. I got kicked out of two schools, suspended by a third school. By the time I got to high school, I was a really bitter, angry dude mm. who had a lot of dad issues. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that was pretty common just in my own neighborhood. But I, I, I met a, a black coach, and uh, he was super disciplined. Mm. I mean, drill sergeant disciplined. Yeah. And he was convinced to to recruit a bunch of black kids to play at a high level. And so, you know, he, he instilled all the, the structure, discipline. Like, I, I remember during recesses and lunch, we were at a Catholic school at the time. Mm -hmm. And we were like one of the few black kids at the school. He rarely even let us 
have lunch or recess with the kids. He always had us in the classroom studying. Mm. And uh, I mean, he kept us on a routine and taught us how to play at a right, at, at, at a right level. And he showed us the true value of education. And so when I came up here, anytime I coach, it's never about the coach coaching. Like I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors first. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I want somebody that under X's and I want somebody that's about whole life. Mm -hmm. And and basketball is nothing but a teaching ground uh, for these kids to understand how life works. How teams work, how individuals work, how mm -hmm. discipline and rigor and all that stuff work. Yep. And yep. so that I took all of that and brought it into this program. Mm -hmm. And plus I had, you know, I was at Oregon State. I played with the Orange Express. Ralph Miller was a legendary coach. Mm -hmm. Played with A.C. Green, who went to Vincent Tech. Yes, sir. And I played with the glove. Me and Gary Payton, we were in the backcourt for three years. Yeah. And so I played with some really high-caliber dudes that were incredibly disciplined and serious about their craft. And so I brought all that to the Benson girls basketball program. And you see the extension of that because of the state championship we won. Mm -hmm. And also that in the NBA, you played for the Blazers. Uh, I got cut. Oh, you got cut. Uh, <laughs> okay. I almost made it. Almost But made they it. got Drazen Petrovic out of his uh, Italian league contract a couple days before I thought I was going to make it. And uh, that was it for my basketball career. But once I got cut, literally, I wanted to turn the page. I didn't want to go overseas. I didn't want to. Uh, the Albany Patroon and the CBA had my my uh, sort of it was the G League of its time okay. had my rights, and uh, I just wanted to do something different. And I, I changed courses and started working in youth. Like I've been in this work of youth for like 29 years. Word. So, yeah. So it's been it's been six years. You got the championship now. Leading up to it, once again, like you're you're molding these girls, you're 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 weeding out those that are not built for it or just not ready for it. Um, what were those conversations like when certain ones were, were dropping out, or maybe maybe they wanted to quit, but did you ever have to like talk them off the ledge and they and they came around? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I always tell girls when they jump into our program, the toughest year is going to be your first year. Mm -hmm. It's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. You know what I'm saying? But once you stay in it, it becomes easy. For us, man, I push grind our kids. I tell you know, like I tell my kids, I'm not coaching if you if I if I don't bring you to tears a couple times your first year, then I'm not doing my job. And so these kids understand that it's gonna be a high degree of work. We don't even have a bench. We we want a state championship. What people don't know with six kids. Yeah, six kids. Six kids. What do you mean? On the varsity, that was it. Six kids. We won a state championship <laughs> with six So kids. you weeded them out so much, you didn't have a whole team. Yeah, and people <laughs> say, you ain't got a bench. I said, it's by design. Because wow. the grind is real, and it ain't for every kid. You know what I'm saying? And so we did that with six kids. And uh, those kids are used to pressing, like, like just 94 feet of hell. Mm. We pushing you down the sideline. We spinning you into traps. Mm. And once you miss or make a shot, we, we down the floor at the other end trying to get a bucket. And so that's all chalked up to just the kind of effort we put in practice. We know our practices are so hard, my kids will tell you, that the games is easy. They look forward to the games because the practices are so difficult. Mm. You know? And so it's we're down up. to six kids. And that's just kind of how we we like it. That's awesome. You know? That's awesome, man. So after you guys won a championship, mm -hmm. what what did that do for those girls? Uh I mean, 
to, to measure it in a scholarship is hard. Mm. I mean, they, you know, one's going to Loyola Marymount, another's going to University of Oregon, another's going to St. Martin's, which is a, a D2. Another has not signed, but has a million offers. Mm -hmm. um, so they all getting offers? Yeah, all, they all getting offers. All sure. Well, four of them, two are coming back. Oh, okay. So four are so on So you got two way. people on your team right now? We got two, <laughs> and we got an amazing eighth grade class. Word, okay, now, that's what's up. Now, because business has success, yeah, you know, like four, yeah, four years ago, five years ago, <laughs> I was trying to sell best, and nobody was right. having it. Now, nobody was everybody buying. and their mom were trying to send their kids. Wow. That's, so we got a good problem. That's good. Go. That's good. So they got the athletic scholarships. What did, what did that do for their academic success? Did you, did you notice big turnarounds in certain girls' grades from, like, when they started versus after they finished? You know, when I had these girls in eighth grade, almost every counselor, teacher, academic advisor at their middle school, I went to, I went to, I go to all their, when they were in eighth grade, I went to all their graduations. And three of them had the graduation the same night, so I was zipping around town going to these graduations. Because I was just so excited about them coming to Benson, right? And every one of them said, you're gonna have to sit on this kid because she's gonna struggle academically. So I was mentally prepared for that. I have a nonprofit called Hollow, yeah. which is a culturally responsive mentoring organization for black and brown girls. Right. You know what I'm saying? So we, we were ready, you know, and provide them all the wraparound services that you needed. But, but one of the things I realized, keeping them busy helps them stay focused and locked in yeah. and having them doing constructive stuff. So our kids, they were, you know, we, you know, they've been all around the country. They've been to Baltimore, they've been to Chicago, New York, LA, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've seen the Smithsonian's. Um, they travel a ton, you know what I'm saying? And part of that is based on how they perform academically. Mm -hmm. And so nothing's free, all is earned. Mm -hmm. And so keeping them busy, uh, we do study hall all school year, so it's not just a seasonal thing. Yeah. And so they built a camaraderie. They understood what the grind is. I always told them that y'all gonna have to be different than your high school friends, that you don't get the same social life that your peers do if you're trying to take that next step beyond high school. Mm. And they, they owned it. Yeah. But they owned it as a, as a, as a tribe. Right. As so a they, crew. Right? There's a lot, of, a lot of cooperation. Yes. A lot of collaboration. A lot of collaboration. Yeah. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of times students, like students don't fail for um, or just receive poor grades for a lack of ability to learn. You know what I mean? A lot of it is lack of attention, um, lack of care towards them. You know what I mean? So the public, the public school system has not taught black and brown kids the same as whites, like starting from the beginning all the way up. And um, a lot of that, and, and a lot, there's a lot of data that supports that, right? So. Tell me about, well, Tyler, like, tell me about the program, uh, the programming that you're doing with Ready to Rise and Underdog Mentality, you know, filling in those gaps for kids that are just overlooked and underserved. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been doing, um, I would say, mentoring, leadership work, uh, working with uh, students of color for really since I was working at the Boys and Girls Club. Mm -hmm. So coming out of college, 2009. You know, really my whole life had been wrapped around sports, right? I was the opposite of you where it's like the, the game told me I had to quit. I had, you know, doctor told me I had about, you know, a centimeter left of cartilage in my knees. Mm -hmm. I'd probably have to get knee replacements by the age of 30, but I still try to push the needle and played semi-pro one game and realized like, yeah, I'm just not cut out for this no more, mm -hmm. right? But then when your whole identity is wrapped up in like what you do, you know, you get lost in like who you are. And so um, I was just searching, bro, to be honest with you. Um, I struggled in school, never was really super academic. 
but knew I wanted to make a difference, knew I wanted to work with, um, probably work and coach in sports. And so I fir first led me to the Boys and Girls Club where I was working with young, young kids under fourth grade. And it was cute. They were adorable. It was fun. But, you know, it, there wasn't massive change because they're still mm -hmm. just trying to figure out life, right? Not even life, like figuring out how to tie my shoes. Man, homie just cut me in the line. I'm not trying to hear that. Right, right, right. right. So then I got moved up and I started working in the school district and I was working as a, uh, it's like an advocate, right? And, and it was so hilarious. I first got this job. They told me I'm going to be working with students that are at risk, uh, that are struggling with grades and whatnot. I said, totally, that's my lane. Then they put me in a math class. And little did they know I never passed the math class my whole life. You know what I mean? So I'm sitting in this math class, like taking furious notes. Yeah. <laughs> Seventh grade, Geyser yeah. Middle School, yeah. I'm note taking. Yeah. And I'm trying to and I'm like, I'm just trying to fit the mold for what they want me to do. And they want me to get these kids' grades up. So I'm sitting there, I'm trying to tutor kids. And long story short, man, um, the kid takes their homework to the teacher and they're like, they came back, like, say, Tyler, this is all wrong. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be tutoring you on that. <laughs> so I was like, this is definitely not my, my new math. I said, this is not my lane. But what I realized was, e, you said something that really yeah. that really struck a chord with me that I tell kids all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you see, I, I'm a watcher, right? And I, and I would watch what um, my peers would do, how they worked with kids. And I would just kind of get these like, oh, like, why'd you just say that? Or why'd you do that? Or that probably wasn't the right way to do that because yeah. I'm looking at it from their from their lens because um, just growing up like a lot of those students grew up you know without you know you know necessarily supportive homes yeah. being around abuse that dramatically affects um, you know your ability to uh, to execute an education right because if you're just in survival mode you know you're struggling you ain't you ain't worrying about that test or you're not worrying about you know reading that book you're more worried about like man am I gonna have a safe place to be tonight um, you know, is my, is my mom and my dad going to be there to take care of me and feed me? So I knew all those things going into it. So when I sat down with a student who was struggling academically, I would just be straight up and I would tell them my story. I said, look, man, I had a 0.2 GPA my freshman year at Benson. People know this to this day will stop me as a 34-year-old and be like, Tyler, oh, you had the 0.2? Like, you had all Fs. It's like, man, that was so long ago. Yeah. And I would just tell them, I said, look, and what I know, what I know is, and it's what you said, E, yeah. that, um, yeah. man, your grades, I would say, what I've, in my experience is, obviously there's learning disabilities and you need to work with that. And a lot of kids have IEPs, individual educational plans, and you can work around that. But I would say, just be truthful. Let's be candid. Let's be honest. Are your grades a reflection of your work habit or your ability to actually be able to thoroughly, you know, process this information? Mm -hmm. My work habit. Right. And I say, well, that's a beautiful place to start because, you know, you know, the beautiful thing about that is it's, it's all depending upon you, whether you create success or you don't. But the scary thing is, it's all up to you. And so you get to choose. And I think where a lot of people miss the miss the um, boat, especially working with uh, you know uh, students of color, is that they're always trying to tell them what to do. They're trying to force feed them information or help set goals for them. Right. Yeah. I think you need to be a uh, you know, what I've really in my experience, because this is what's worked with me. You be a vision caster of like, man, this is what you could do. Mm. You could do these and not not making up fluff. Right. Like because they can sense that a mile away, but just being truthful and honest and then casting this vision for them to kind of lean into and then asking them questions about how they think they could get there. And when they take personal ownership, you know what I mean, over those ideas um, that they've created kind of with you, mm -hmm. um, then there's much more, uh, there's more, more, way more buy-in, you know what I mean? Because they were a part of the process instead of somebody always coming to them and telling them what they need to do. And then it's another way to hold them accountable. Yeah. You know what I mean? You said back two months ago, hey, look here, uh, Tyrone fam, so we, I'm, I'm looking at your grades, I was, uh, you know, I'm checking attendance, I'm seeing what's up, and it looks like you kind of fell back, man, what's up? Like, how, you know, what's going on? And, oh, you know, and then they'll tell you whatever they tell you, and you go back to, remember what you told me, what you wanted yeah. to do? What's mm -hmm. changed since then? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that only happens, and, and, and yeah. this brother's been doing this way longer than me, that only happens through trust. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? You can't do that with somebody that doesn't trust you, you ain't built any rapport with. So I think that's just the biggest thing, rapport, relationships, and allowing them the space um, to create their own goals as you cast that vision for them, what they can actually accomplish. That's what I'm saying. Man, I, I love what he's saying because, you know, we, you work with our culture. It, it doesn't start with knowledge. It starts with relationship. For sure. 100%. 100%. You know, like, like you got to connect with a kid before that kid's ready to even start learning. And uh, I love the whole vision casting, you know, like it took me a while to really build a relationship with these girls mm -hmm. so that that trust was intact. Yep. And from that point, when you talked about vision casting for us, it was about getting these girls to dream about telling a story mm. in Portland. I always get emotional, you know, like for six years, I told these girls, we're telling a story. And the beautiful piece about a story is that all the characters in it are shaped by each other. Mm. And, um, and so our story was, was that, you know, the Argonian, or sorry, the, the, what was it? USA Today says that Portland is the whitest city, city in America. America right? 77%? I don't uh, know what the percentage is, but it's a lot. 70, it's in the high yeah. 70, I'm mm, saying. Right. And, and we have Benson. Right? So we get to the state championship and we've been living in this sort of story, this narrative. And the narrative is, is how do you take a, the smallest school at the state tournament mm -hmm. with limited resources? And I mean limited, meaning 70, we're the only one with a free and reduced lunch program at the state tournament. Mm -hmm. Ours is 78%. Mm -hmm. Many girls didn't come out for the basketball program because they can't afford the basic PPS participation fee of $35. Mm. $35 to play a winter, fall, or spring sport. That's wild. They couldn't afford that. A third of my girls played in track shoes. Mm. Track mm. shoes. And, and then the last thing is, is that when the lunch bell rings, if, if you're not in 60% of the front of the line, the other 40% don't get meals, lunch meals, because they run out of food. And that's every day, even till today. Oh, come on. In 2019, that's the In 2019, at, at your alma Wow. How do we, with all that data, go to the state tournament and win a state championship and beat the brakes off everybody? Mm. You know what I'm saying? They just came by, it was out there dusting. <laughs> yeah, and what we realized that, that, you know, like, what we realized is that um, not having resource, resources became the resource for us. Because when we didn't have the stuff they say, that they say you got to have good training, a, a good diet, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, uh, all these financial support systems in place, mm -hmm. we had each other. Right. Mm. And there's something beautiful about a bond, if you believe in it, that becomes transformational. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I told my kids, you don't have to have exceptional talent if you have exceptional belief, mm. right? I, I always, this is my running joke, I said, what does Madonna, Miley Cyrus, and Kesha have in common? Mm. And they look at me and I said, none of them can sing, but them collectively are worth 
$400 million because you can't tell them they can't. Madonna can't sing? No, <laughs> not to me. My dad loves Madonna. Right, right. Oh, uh, they're great performers, but not great yeah. singers. You know what I'm accurate, saying? Accurate, accurate. I know, but, I know about Kershaw. I know she can't sing. Right. But, I, I, th- I thought Madonna could sing. Uh, well, you know, like I said, great performer, <laughs> but not great singer. But, but you know what? You. But you know what? You can't tell them that. Sure. Because they got that belief. Yeah, because they got that belief. Yeah, they got that faith. You know what I'm saying? And so I tell my girls, like, describe what you don't have. It's it's about believing in what God gave you, right? Mm -hmm. And and that can take you to heights you've never gone. And that that's what happens for us at Benson, right? Yeah. So Mm. mentally, you yeah, mentally, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you gotta believe it before you do it. so Tyler, I mean, you, you're working with kids that are not necessarily in sports. Yep. So, and what, what Eric was saying is like, when you have sports and you have this structure, it kind of, it helps you get your work done. It's just like, cause I remember I did, I did basketball, football and track. So it's yeah. like, I had limited times. So I didn't have a lot of time to waste, Yeah. but not all kids have the, you know, can afford to play sports yeah. or just have the privilege to be gifted enough to make a team. So like taking this transition from like what's happening to Eris girls with, with sports or other kids around the city and them getting scholarships to just kids that's just going to school and just trying to go to college. Yep. Um, how do you help them get through that? Just like, all right, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this. I don't even know if it's possible for me, mm, yeah. but like what, what tools do you give high school kids to be able to reach their goal of going to college? That's it, man. I would just say that um, two things for me that I think yeah. about, you know what I mean? When, trying to help students accomplish those goals, especially if it's not around sports. Because when it's sports, you know, you have this carrot of like, well, if you don't get these grades, you're not going to be able to play. Yeah. And you say something right. that I always say, right. where it's, um, you know, sometimes you, you got to do things you don't want to do to get things that you want to have. Yeah. Which is so true. So I think the biggest thing for me, man, anytime I'm out, when I recruit our students and I go in schools, and we're not exclusive, yeah. like you said, to uh, just uh, black and brown kids. Uh, we do have white students in our program. But I talk about the overall vision is you got to have a why. And it might sound cliche because I know that's a lot that's going around, yeah. you know, around, you know, really the world right now talking about the why. Yes. But it's just a real conversation that you got to understand when it comes to the things that matter, you need to understand why you're doing it. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't if you don't have a reason why you're doing it, you'll quit at the first sign of resistance, the first challenge. You know, you, you failed a class and now you don't think it's for you and because you don't really have a, a, a strong purpose behind it. So, man, we dive deep. So I share my and I, don't gotta, I ain't going to do it right now. It's going to take way too long. But I share per, my personal story when I really found my why. And the beautiful thing I talk about, I talk about it being kind of three components, right? You have your why, you have your what, and you have your how. What I've found in my experience a lot of times with students are um, they, they figure out what they want to do, right? So if I go around, I go in a group of students, and they're sitting out like you guys in a crowd, and I say, okay, um, who's ever got this, asked this question in the last six months? Show me on your hands. Has somebody walked up to you and said, hey, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? And I hate that question, right? And everybody's like, oh, I don't even got enough hands. You know what I mean? I, I take yeah. off my socks and show you on my toes how many times somebody asked me. And then I say, okay, so, um, you know, and I'll ask you, so what do you want to do? I want to be a veterinarian. I want to go to school and I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a, you know, I want to be an auto mechanic. I want to be an engineer. And I say, that's awesome. That's a vehicle. That's what you want to do. And then I say, well, you know, so the next question people usually ask you is like, well, how are you going to do that? Right? You're going to go to school or you're going to go take this program or you're going to, you know, go into this trade. And we, that's a whole other topic that we can talk about is like, you know, everybody pushing this, you know, traditional academic academia sure. when there's trades out there that are making way more bread and way more sustainable. That's but that's right. another topic for another day. Yeah. But essentially, um, I talk about, OK, now the, the, the process of figuring out what you want to do, it should start with the why, then it should go to the what. Then you need to figure out the how. The problem is traditionally you talk about what I want to do, how I'm going to do it. And if you don't know why you want to do it, 
right? If you're getting that navigation, but you don't have any fuel in that vehicle, you're not gonna go anywhere, mm-hmm. right? You're gonna get lost and you know, trying to read this map and you don't really know and understand where you're going because you don't really understand the purpose behind it. So I always tell them, man, make sure that that gas is in your tank yeah. and you understand, mm-hmm. you get that first because you can always have this fuel, which is your why, and you have that, you can put that into any vehicle. And when I realized that, that's when I was 28, you know, it took me, after graduating from college, five or six years to figure out what my why was. And once I did that, right, I just want to help people realize mm. their potential, work with young people, help them tap into their greatness. I said, there's a million things I can do with that. So I'm not limited to this one scope of work, right, that I have to do for the rest of my life. It opens up a lot of other doors. So when I see the light bulb go on for them and they realize, yeah. like, oh, I don't just have to do this because they'll be like, I want to be a nurse. Why do you want to do that? I want to help people. Let me ask you a question. Don't get mad. You know what I mean? Because you've probably been thinking about this since you were six. Is that the only way you can help people? They're like, nah. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll move on. They're like, oh, shoot. I can do other things, right? Because being a nurse is hard. I know tons of people that can't pass them tests, can't pass those exams. And now they're just, you know, now that they lost all self-confidence. Like, man, I went to school for all this. I dropped 60 Gs. Mm. I'm like, well, you should have figured out the why. You know what I mean? Because the vehicle, it might not work. You know what I mean? And so I think for me, that's the biggest thing. And then the last thing is, I'm going to be quick with this. I was mentoring a young gentleman. And it's a relative, so I ain't gonna put him out there like that. <laughs> my wife, little my, my, yeah, little Cuddy. We'll say he wasn't a Cuddy, but I'm a, my wife got mad when I put his name out there. But, uh, anyway, gentleman is a he's a six three, right? Been six three since he was a sophomore. Anyway, got cut his freshman year from the basketball team. Went to a school that's not good either at basketball. Got cut his freshman year. Got cut his sophomore year. Got cut his junior year. So I'll take him out his senior year because I'm trying to recruit him for my program because this would be a great mentoring relationship for him. And I'm not bringing up hoop at all. Not one bit. Mm. And we go get some sushi, and then I'm like, all right, I'm dropping him off. And then he, he popped a question. He said, he said, um, um, oh, I just said, um, my bad. Anyway, I got a lot of nephews. <laughs> he said, he said, man, Tyler he said, 25 nephews, guys. <laughs> it's, all right. good. it's not the one. What you thinking of? He said, he said, um, man, you know, I think I'm gonna go out for the hoop team again. I said, well, right on, bro. I said, let me ask you a question. I'm being dead honest, be dead honest with me. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being you've been working your butt off, you've done everything you can to put yourself in a position to make that team. You're the first one to get there, last one to leave. You're asking questions in the, in the meetings. You're doing everything. That's a 10. A one is you know, you've been playing 2K all day. You, you've been trying to watch Damian Lillard videos thinking you got a game like that, and that's going to make you a better hooper, right? Where you at? He leaned over to me with excitement. He said, uh, I'll come about a six. I said, hey, go ahead. Reach in that glove compartment real quick. He said, what am I grabbing? I said, grab them scissors. He said, why? I said, because you finna get cut. <laughs> Straight up. I said, listen, yeah, yeah. listen to me. And this was actually on my social media, so you might have seen this video before. I have not seen this video. No, and I made that video in one minute on social media, so I don't know how I did it. But anyway, I said, you about to get cut, Neff. And he started laughing like y'all is, which told me he ain't really serious. And then I said, uh, I was like, Neff, you had a six, you're at a six, you've never made the team, and you're going to whine and complain. I said, you cannot complain about the lack of results you get from the lack of energy and effort you put into something. And I see it so often with a lot of our students that they want these goals and these dreams, but they're not necessarily working at, you know, at practicing their craft to get better. And I think part of that's a lack of experience, lack of knowledge, lack of resources Mm -hmm. like Eric's talking about. So we got to kind of help, you know, be that Uber driver and they're the rider and we can kind of navigate them and where we want them to go. But then also you just got to have want to. That's an unteachable skill. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a want to. So I was, so we just laugh about it. And I said, that hoop's not for you. Let's move on. Let's find what is for you. You know what I mean? So I think that's the two biggest things, helping them find their why and then just give them those hard yeah. conversations. And Eric's doing it in a different form where it's not necessarily a conversation. It's either you show up at 415 or you don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mine is different because I don't got that care to hoop and I need you to be <laughs> yeah, here. Right. So I'm going to help you, um, you know, kind of navigate yeah. through that process to figure it out. So, so you know, there's, there's, there's about 200 kids in Hollow. Mm-hmm. Actually, 
some if you if you watch our social media channel, at least my social media channel, you assume hollows about basketball, black girl basketball, mm -hmm. and that's about ten to fifteen percent of actually what we do. We've got hmm. we we impact about two hundred kids. We have forty seven matches. Most of our mentors are black and brown college age students or young professionals that are connecting with black and brown kids, and they're doing stuff other than sports, right? Yeah. right? And so there's four P's, real simple in terms of really getting the kid going, right? And so the first P for me is person, right? Like like connecting with who they are as a person, right? And making that relational, um, creating that relational bridge between you and the kid that you mentor. Right. Out of that is the second P for me, which is through understanding who they are, how they wire, finding that passion, right? Mm. Because if you're passionate about something, you gonna, you know what I'm saying? Like it's easy to get motivated. Like basketball for me, these kids naturally want to take that step. Yep. But that principle applies to anything. You know what I'm saying? If you're passionate about it, doing the work is easy, even when it's hard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so the third P for me is, um, what is it? Oh, <laughs> developing that potential, right? Yeah. Like, Ooh, like that, that's that's where all the, that that's where all the work is. Yes, you know what I'm saying? That's where the rigor is. That's where yeah. challenging them is. That's where wrestling to the mat, helping them be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. yep. And then for us, especially us that lack access, that fourth P is create pathways, mm, right? Pathways. For them to explore this stuff, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we, it's funny, there was a, uh, uh, there's a company that that now support, that partners with us and uh, they're in the aviation and they came to us and said, do you think if we did a flight school, your kids would want to be a part? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't that pumped on it, right? But we, we got the word out through our mentors and we had probably the, the best attendant event that turned into a flight school wow. in our program yeah. since its inception six years ago. Mm. And it is one of our biggest programs because we got all of our STEM stuff in it as well. Mm -hmm. And so those four P's are the things that kind of shape hollow shape, you know, how I work with a kid that doesn't play sports mm -hmm. um, and helps them take that, that next step in their life. Yep. But it starts with the person, right? The us connecting, yep. right? Flesh on flesh, human beings connecting, vibing with each other, building that relationship. And then it moves into those other pieces. You guys interacting with kids so closely in schools. Yeah. Is college still a big deal with kids? I'm going to say there's many pathways to success. I do not buy this. I, like, I think in our Eurocentric educational model, we, is, mm. we, we say it, we measure intelligence based on a test. Right. Like, how, how well, what's your GPA? Or how well did you do SAT? Or did you get to college? Mm, and and I don't see it that way. Mm. There's a lot of ways yeah. kids can be successful. And there's a lot of, you know, it's that book, Multiple Intelligences, right? Oh, like, yeah. there's lots of, of, like, I have some of the most brilliant kids. There's a kid, I won't even name her name, brilliant, struggles academically. But if I was running a company, she'd be one of the first people I hire. Talk about it. Yes, sir. She's sharp as they, she just doesn't, she doesn't test well. Mm -hmm. But her street knowledge and her ability to capture concepts and spit them right back to you in an intelligent mm -hmm. is incredible. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I don't, I don't think college is sure. the end all for mm -hmm. kids. You know, like, there's lots of pathways for them to get.
take that step in their life and be successful. I'll add my, my, my thoughts yeah. on that, Eric. I'm, I'm totally in agreement with what Eric just said. Um, I think that we, I think the society, at least in the space that mm -hmm. I'm in, mm -hmm. um, people are starting to realize, yeah. you know, um, that there are many pathways yeah. and that also that, I might get fired for this, but here we go, yeah. uh, that education is, is not the same equalizer that it used to be. Right. Um, because of really because of technology, because yeah. of social media, because of all the other things that what methods out there to be able to mm. you know create money. Um, now I do think education is is severely is, is really important. But what I tell my students is like you got to realize like you're not just a student because you show up and sit in a classroom, right? Like are you self are you educating your what are you doing outside of what you're required to do to learn and get better at your craft, right? And so I think the biggest thing for me is with Ready to Rise, you know, we partner with colleges, mm. right? We partner with four, uh, five uh, colleges in the state of Washington state, you know, one, one two-year, rest four-year schools. Um, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, when I'm talking to students about their commitment level, what they're excited about to go to college, um, I think there's a, there's a level of, you know, really excited. I'm so excited. I'm pumped. My family went, or my family never went. I want to be the first in my family. Then there's students that are not excited at all. And then there's this middle ground where you're kind of apathetic. Mm. And it's just kind of something you're doing because you've been told that if you don't go to school, you'll make a million less than the person that does go to school. You know, you know those stats, right? right? But I, I guess the biggest thing I'm trying to wrap it up with, with when Ready to Rise, we talk about the vision being we are not an academic success program, meaning I try to tutor. It doesn't work. I won't tutor you. Right. But what we're going to do is we're going to give you those skills, mm -hmm. those that savviness that you're going to be able to have. Like you just said, to walk into a room, light up a room to be a person um, that is going to be intellectual, that's going to be intelligent. But you, you don't it doesn't really reflect yeah. ac academics, because I don't know about any job that you've ever had. Nobody said, Tyler, what's your GPA? Yeah. You know, what I mean, is I they, matter of fact, they didn't even ask for my diploma. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so most a lot of places do, but yeah. they didn't ask me that. Yeah. It's my experience. So I think at the end of the day, we have to teach these students. It's not just all about, you know, when you go to college, it's a multitude of layers. It's not just the academic side. It's the experiences you get. But number one, it's the network that you'll tap into. You know, 80% of people get jobs because of people that they know. Mm -hmm. And I tell my students all the time, listen, if, if, if I was hiring and you had a resume, came through, and you had a resume and it came through, and they both were the same, they were equal, the thing that's going to separate it is, oh, but I know this person and I've connected with them and I see what they're about. You know what I mean? So are you out there networking and meeting people, which is, you know, that's or that person was referred by somebody or, or referred by somebody yeah. else. So I think if yeah. you're, you know, college is a great, yeah. a great opportunity, incredible yeah. opportunity, yeah. but you need to maximize all of yeah. its potential. You're not just there, you know, to get that diploma. You're there to meet people, to network, to get experiences, mm. studying abroad. I wish I could have done that playing hoop. Couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, so that would be the biggest thing that I would say, man, I think it's still important to kids. I think they still want it, uh, but I just think there's a level of apathy where it there, that didn't exist before. Because I also think there's this hidden, like, uh, like I got this hidden uh, success blanket over here. Like, well, if it don't work, I could just be a YouTube blogger, or I got this idea. And then you might be, right. but you ain't doing a damn thing to get better at that. So let's not talk about that right now. Let's figure out a practical strategy. So that's just what I'm seeing, man. Is like level of apathy, very excited, not interested at all. And it's probably been like that for you know probably back in Eric's time as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I remember like going to college, getting out of college, and being immediately upset. Mm. Going out, you know, looking looking for jobs, yep. and they're like, "Well, we need someone with at least one or two years experience." Like and I'm just like, "I just went to college. Like, what do you expect?" And then, and then they're they're asking you in an interview, like, "So tell me about a time where you had to overcome adversity." I just graduated college. Like I just took 18 right. credits my senior year. Like I juggled six. Five. What do I need to tell you? What you need? What, do you what need? else do you need? Yeah. And so, but still, I, 
I don't know, man. Like, I still feel like college is about because that, that experience, I'll yeah. never want to trade that. Man, I was, I'll never want to trade look, that. Look, I graduated high school with a 2.4 GPA. Mm. That was it. Struggled mm. academically. I did just enough to stay athletically eligible. Right. Uh, but I was making lots of money in high school. I was throwing parties. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was creating flyers. I was promoting. I was mm. DJing. Marketing. I was marketing my tail off yeah. and making lots of money for a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old. I got to college. They stuck me and all the minority students in the EOP building, uh, Equal Opportunity Program. Right. It was one building at Oregon State that all the minority students went there, and basically. It was the remedial building, right? Like mm. trying to help us get ready for college while yep. in college. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and so when I got to, when I got finally into college while being in college and started going to the other buildings to take real mm. classes, um, yeah, I felt a certain way about my own lack of education, right? Like I, I felt inferior to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Yep. It wasn't until I got out of college uh, that I, I understood and tapped into my brilliance and realized that, you know, from Benson Girls Basketball to the nonprofits that I got off the ground to the businesses that I do in real estate, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't a conventional way, mm-hmm. but it was a path that, you know, God created. But for you me. already had that talent. You already had that in you. Right. You didn't, you didn't need Oregon State to prove that. Didn't need Oregon State for that. I was already doing that prior to getting to Oregon State. What happens is you get into those white Eurocentric spaces, mm-hmm. and then they start making you feel inferior about, about your brilliance. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't do it their way. Yeah, of course, naturally, you can't do you're it not going to do it. Right, yeah. And That's once why. you emancipate yourself from that thinking, then you're free to go do your thing. Word, word. I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, in, in I went to a black school, HBCU, Texas oh, Southern. One? Okay. In Houston. Houston. Yeah, man. So like yeah. that. That's why I say, I, even though I really didn't need college, because I, I I sold insurance for ten years. Okay. So. All you and all you need to do is just take a test. Yeah. And anybody can sell insurance right. as long as you're licensed. Right. Like I went to college. Racked up all this debt just to get out and take a test and do something that I didn't need college for. You know right. what I mean? But my experience, right. like, I got the opposite experience. I went to, I mean, of course, I came from Portland. And then going down to Houston and just getting enveloped in that culture oh, and having professors that wanted me to succeed. Yeah. Like, that actually added a lot to my life. So, yeah. I, I always, like, I don't say college is for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody. But especially if you black or just, yeah, if you black in Portland. Yeah. I'm gonna encourage you to go to HBCU because you need yeah. that. You need that encouragement. Yeah. You know what I mean. And the crazy thing is, I tell this all the time. I said, Black Portland. If you native to Portland and you African American, Portland suffers from not having a Black middle class community. I grew up in South Central, and in spite of what you see on TV and read in the paper and the news, South Central has a little bit of everything in it. So yeah. I grew up seeing black, black, you know, black business. I saw black excellence. All the time. Now I saw this. I saw you know like banging and selling drugs and all that. Mm-hmm. But you had, you had both of those experiences right, right in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Judges, doctors, political leaders. Oh, was you in LA CEO, with him too? Doctors. He was in LA with him too. No. Oh, he was in Eaglewood. He was in Eaglewood. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, yep, yeah. And so we don't get to, you know, so people who are native to Portland and grew up in North and Northeast Portland, mm-hmm. 
weren't privy to that. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And the ones that are professionals are from here and they live on the west side. That's right. You know, and they work at Nike and Intel. You know what yep. I'm saying? Can I say one little thing yeah. real quick about that? So with um, so with Ready to Rise, a little plug again. Yeah. Um, you know, like what you said, E. So like, yeah. it, it's interesting because when I met people, when I was meeting mm -hmm. people, when I was as an adult yeah. in Portland, anytime I would, because I was doing Uber, he knows this. I was doing yeah. Uber part time, yeah. and really it was for like a social experiment. Uh -huh. And then I had I was off in the summers and had some flexibility, and you know you're doing a ton of rides, and anytime I would meet a black person. Um, how you doing, man? How's your day going? Oh, where you from? Oh, I'm from North Carolina, whatever. Oh, you work, live out here now? And like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they like, um, how you like it out here? They'd always ask me. I'm like, man, it's home. Yeah, I enjoy it here. You know, yeah. got some ups and downs. I said, how about you? Like, man, it's just so many. I don't even. Where are the black people at, man? You like the third black person I've seen. Right. And so I can I can attest to this, and I know this is probably yeah. E's experience yeah. too. You know, we went to Benson, and Benson was probably 35, 40 percent black, right? Yeah. Probably back yeah. in the day. And I grew up in Alberta, in the Alberta area, so I grew up around nothing but black people. Even yeah. though Portland was so white, I never went to Southeast, I definitely never went to Vancouver, I never went to Beaverton, right? Yeah. I stayed in, in Northeast, and that was all my homies was black. Yeah. I didn't have I didn't have one white friend, you yeah. know what I mean? And so I was comfortable in that. So I'm, th I'm, I'm putting this in the context of like students, black students going to college. So then I go to Bakersfield, mm. right? My whole team is black. It's super diverse there, a ton of Hispanic folks, a ton of black folks. I feel really welcome, I feel like this is my culture, I can rock with this. And now where that imposter syndrome comes and where that lack of belief in myself am I really supposed to be here I remember I was driving into Ellensburg Washington Central Washington <laughs> University if you don't know where it's up looking on a map I'm driving in and there's a Fred Myers there's a Pizza Hut a Jack right. in the Box and the college campus and I see nothing but white faces and I pull up in the gym I'm like all right at least I'm gonna have all my black teammates you know I go and there's two other black dudes on the team I'm there for about a week and I, I was like man I don't think I can do this Right? I don't see any other black folks in these classes. And I think the biggest aspect of what Ready to Rise provides in similar programs is the ability to connect with people uh, that are not only like-minded, but that look like you prior to going to college that are also going to that same college, mm. right? And so we put students in those cohort models where they're able okay. to connect with people that look like them, that have maybe same similar experiences. So when they go off to college, they don't feel that disconnect, yeah. right? And the studies show that, you know, students a lot of the time leave the school because of the culture, yeah. right? It's, I didn't fit in, I didn't feel like it was a good fit, especially students of color. Yeah. It wasn't that they were struggling academically or financially, it was like, I don't know if I really belong here. Right. And so, you know, Ready to Rise has been, you know, I've been blessed to be able to be in that work because we've created a program that allows those students to come together before they go so they have those bonds and they can stick together and really change the narrative of leadership so really the vision for, our, for, for ready to rise is to make leadership more reflective of the community of people that live here okay. right and that's the yeah. biggest thing I would say with yeah. that that's dope man yeah. well I appreciate y'all giving us all this amazing knowledge man I end every show with the fab five five questions that I ask everybody and we literally have five minutes yeah. so let's try to <laughs> get through this so uh, uh, really quickly start with uh, Eric what artist or album or actually what's your favorite genre of music first things first is it hip-hop R&B hip-hop what artist or album made you fall in love with hip-hop actually Sugar Hill Gang 1979 okay you, Robert, yeah, you know I never heard anything like that yeah. you know what I'm saying and yeah. uh, when that when hip hop came on the scene, then mm -hmm. I was I was wrong. Right? Yeah. I've been a hip hop head ever since. So. Ever since. Yes. That's what's up. What about you, T.Y.? Uh, man, I'm an R and B smooth dude. I mm -hmm. can't sing at all. <laughs> I love hip hop, and I used to actually rap. Mm -hmm. right. But you know, I don't listen to too much hip hop unless it's older. And I would say the first person uh, you know that I was really vibing with was Reasonable Doubt. Like mm -hmm. Jay's flow and Big L, like that freestyle mm -hmm. that they had in '98. Yeah. Big L ate him. 
He did. He did. That freestyle. <laughs> oh, that he, was he kind of ate him up. Yeah. I was like, man, I want to be like, I want to rap like that. Right. You know what I mean? That's stuff I still listen to today. That's dope. Question number two uh, Is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? The autobiography uh, of Malcolm X. For sure. When I saw. You know, funny is I wasn't a big reader. Mm. And there was this, when I learned that Malcolm X struggled academically, then he got into prison and he became this voracious reader. And then he copied the dictionary from mm. A through Z. Mm -hmm. I, it was at that point that I was like, I need to become a reader and I need to start, like, I think I'm at N right now in yeah. the, in the uh, <laughs> dictionary. And so yeah. that movie, and who he was mm -hmm. academically, intellectually, and socially mm -hmm. was transformational for me. Wow. So it was that movie. Word. What about you, Tyler? I would say, uh, I'm, I'm gonna throw two real quick. Don't laugh at me, but Jackson 5, American Dream, <laughs> VH1. <laughs> that affected your you. outlook on life? It affected me. It Joe Jackson had you scared. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it just inspired me to like, right. it just inspired me to just right. like, just have this passion. Uh, that they had for music. But then, no, mm. really, the real movie, and I might be a prisoner of the moment, but I just watched on Netflix, which a lot of folks probably have seen yeah. here, um, Where They See Us. Is that what it's called? The Think documentary how, about it? How, how they, they see us. Is that what it's called? It's called How They See Us? I have no it's idea. It's the movie about the Central Park Five. <laughs> but it's something, yeah. how they, something they the see Park us. Five, the Harlem yeah. Park Five. Central Park Five. Central Park Five. Is that yeah, what it's called? Yeah. And I got a son. I got kids, bro. And I was at 3 a.m. watching yeah. this binging and tearing up. Yeah. Man. It was so I don't want to watch. I'm, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm starting yeah. episode four um, today. Okay. Bro. Okay. Get your, get your Kleenex ready, fam. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> get your Kleenex ready, fam. I'm, uh, I'm trying to find the right time to watch doses. it. Yeah, you you can, it's doses. too much, bro. Emotional. Uh, yeah. I was. It's hurting. like 13. Is it is it heavier than 13? Have you seen that that the documentary? Oh, it's just different. I think it's just different. Yeah, it's heavier. Oh, it's it's different. different, but heavy mainly because you see you didn't realize how young these black boys were. Yeah. Oh, and when you Video see their faces in it, yeah, it just hits you in a way that I don't. It's really well done. Really well done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Like, I didn't know they were that young. You see yeah. yourself in it, right. you see your kids in it, you see the yeah. few. Yep. That's wild. Word. Um, question number three, when you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath for me. Rest. I believe in Sabbath. Mm -hmm. uh, usually Fridays, I cut my phone off mm. and for, for 24 or four hours and, uh, and just plug in with my creator, mm -hmm. read my Bible, mm -hmm. and de-stress yeah. myself and so and then it, life kind of balances itself out and getting mm -hmm. another perspective out of that sabbath mm -hmm. saturday I come around recharged and ready to go mm -hmm. but if i if i'm not sabbathing mm -hmm. I, uh, emotionally i'm upside down mm -hmm. and the cares of life just choke oh, out yeah. right yeah. choke out the beauty of life for sure in me. so yeah. That's what it's like. I would just say, man, I remember growing up, my dad would just take us on drives around the city and just look at home, just look at the beautiful landscape that Northwest provides. So for me, it's just not even having any music in the car, sunny day, windows down, and I'm just thinking, just thinking, and yeah. just taking time to just decompress mm -hmm. and driving, you know what mm -hmm. I mean, around. Word. Yeah. Question number four, if you woke up tomorrow and found out that you won the lottery for $100 million, how would you <laughs> spend your money and your time from that day forward? Um, I, I'd be nervous. 
I'm afraid of money, mm. and and it's corrupting power. I love money, and that's why I'm afraid of it. Mm. So I'd like to believe <laughs> that I'd give at least 98% of it away and wow. figure out how to invest the rest right. to sustain me as I pursue my passion. You don't want it to destroy you. Huh? I don't want it to destroy me. Yeah, so, And I've seen too many shows on the lot of destroying people. Right. So I just don't trust myself with money. I can understand I don't that. trust that. In, I like the... I like depending on people. I need dependence on people. It keeps me grounded and humble. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You're special brother. I'm not giving away 98%, yeah. but T.Y., yeah. what you, yeah. real quick. where you at? I can 98%, relate. oh, hold on. I can relate to what Eric's saying, right? Like, money doesn't have a moral compass, but people do. Where? And if money does change folks. I would say, man, I would definitely, just being selfish, solidify my family's legacy to break generational poverty and not to give my kids money, but to show them how that money works Word. and invest it and put it in a space where it can go to good use and obviously be philanthropic. You know what the word I'm talking about. Philanthropic. philanthropic. We got you. We got you. Uh, and giving away a ton of money to and, and to like initiatives that you really want to invest money in, but you maybe don't have the time to do it. For sure. So giving those or giving that away there. Say it again. There we go. We, we, we give, created give the endowment for Words already. Last question. It's kind of heavy. What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Um, that I put, you know, like life is about serving, not being served. Mm -hmm. It's about putting other people's needs ahead of your own mm -hmm. um, and not living narcissistic and self-focused, but mm -hmm. to pay it forward. You know what I'm saying? And I want, you know, I want people around my grave saying this, this dude impacted me this way, right? Like he really, like I've heard giving ain't giving until uh, it interrupts your lifestyle. Mm. And so I want people to know, uh, kids that I mentored said, man, he allowed us to interrupt his lifestyle mm. so that we could take the next step in our life. Wow, that's awesome. Man, I just would want people to know that I was about love. You know what I mean? Yeah. In all sense of the word, man, and that's relationships, um, that's the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I just brought love and a sense of, uh, I would say, uh, humbleness, even though when you say you're humble, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> but just a sense of that, For right? Sure. And, and, and we just want people to tell stories, man, and have a, you know, just have great memories yeah. around love, around, um, you know, what I was able to create. But um, I think that's a tough question, man. It is tough. Text me that first. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hit people on, on the oh, spot the with that. Spot. You know oh, what I mean? They're not the same questions every time, are they? Huh? Well, that, they are. Oh, okay. Are, but, Shoot, I but still, though. Ready for that, <laughs> it's all good, man. Once again, appreciate you fellas for your time. Everyone, can y'all give a hand to Eric Knox, Tyler Monk. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, bro. Once again, y'all, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next week. Grace and peace. Dream.